0: Well, good morning. Am I on? I'm on, thanks. We've been talking, we've been looking through the book of Genesis, and we started by talking about the grandness of God, the pre-existent one, the Almighty who has always existed, who spoke into being the world and everything that existed. We saw the beauty of creation We saw with the care that he created, the details, and then he created humanity and put his image upon them, male and female, and loved them and had relationship with them and walked with them in the garden in paradise. And it was this beautiful story, but for the past two weeks, we've been talking about sin and the curse and death and the brokenness of the world, and it's been heavy. And if you're looking for relief, this story starts with hope. This story starts with Eve bearing a child. And as she bore a child, she said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And when Cain, when excuse me, when Eve had heard the curse, she had also heard the promise the blessing that was to come, the offspring of the one who would be future, who would crush the head of the serpent, who would take out the one, the father of lies. And she would have had hope. And she may have even thought, is this the one? Is this the child? Is this the serpent crusher? But unfortunately, our story is not completely that happy ending, that happily ever after. It's another story of sin. In fact, it's a story of the escalation of sin. It's a story of sin's progression, uh, of sin's spread and its infectiousness and the disease with which it completely taints everything that it touches and it escalates straight to murder. You see, Cain and Abel are are these great characters, and the story is small, but the echoes of Cain and Abel go throughout the rest of Scripture. Cain is mentioned as a warning throughout the rest of Scripture, and in turn, Abel, whose life is only a few verses long here, is referenced throughout the Bible, even Jesus himself, comparing to Abel. We see these cycles of sin and death, of wandering and redemption, the enmity that was to be between the serpent and its offspring and the human offspring, we see here realized. We see what it looks like, this strife. We see conflict and what is to come. And the brothers become the archetype of the two paths, of the two choices, one representing antagonistic unbelief and the other contrite trust. This is an epic story, but how, how did we get here? I, I want to start with something that, that often has bothered me. I've thought about a lot, like how did we get here? How did the world get broken? How did sin enter the world, and then we see this huge curse, and we see straight to murder, like was it the fruit? That doesn't, I mean, that, does that seem as weighty as what goes along with it? like I feel like I have committed that sin so much and my children have committed that sin weekly if not daily. Don't eat the cookies, okay? They're for something else. Please don't eat we got to save them. They're not for us. Don't you already ate one. Okay? Just one. Okay, fine. Just like whatever. No more cookie. You ate two. Okay, fine. Just go away, please. Like it's like it doesn't seem that bad and my parenting Qualities or failings aside, like, it doesn't seem, does it seem that worthy? Because in our story and, and in consequent stories, the tale that is told throughout Genesis is serious, is weighty. And that is, that is the first point that we're going to talk about, the seriousness of sin. If you have your outlines and your bulletins and you want to follow along, The first is the seriousness of sin, and and we need to look at why is sin so serious? Why does it have these huge, weighty consequences? Why is the world broken as a result of sin? Sin is this attitude of the heart. It's not ultimately about the actions, but it's about the question in my heart The question, the lie that the serpent told, which in our story we see personified. In our story we see that the lie takes on a life of its own. It's referenced as an animal crouching at the door waiting to devour. Sin is the attitude of my heart that says, I know what's best, I want my own way. And sin is serious. Let's think about it this way, okay? Let's think about if I do something against someone. Let's say that I tell a lie. And if I tell a lie to my dog, there is no consequence. Especially if I say it in a voice like, he's going to think I want to play or try to lick my face. Okay? If I tell a lie then to my children, there will be some consequence. There will be a breaking of the relationship. There will be a loss of trust. If I tell a lie to my wife, there are more serious consequences. There's a breaking in my most intimate relationship, my intimate earthly relationship. There is distrust in my house. There is fallout in my entire family. If I lie to my boss... There's consequences. There's bigger consequences. It could have an effect on my job. It could have an effect on my livelihood. And then if I lie to Congress, that is a crime, and I will go to jail. So consider then how much greater is the holy God of the universe How much further above Congress even is God himself who spoke the world into being. Sin is serious because it is against a holy God. Sin is serious because it is against the God who created all things. Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, the one who rules all that exists, the one who breathed the very life into our lungs, the one who started the very beating of our hearts, who holds together the very molecules of existence. This God who we have established in Genesis is who this sin is against. And sin is serious, infinitely serious, because it is against the infinitely holy God. So sin is serious because it is against him. And then next we see that sin is serious because it breaks the world. We saw this in the curse. That not only was there going to be pain in work and in childbirth, not only did death enter the world, but the nature itself was fractured. That the, that the ground would no longer yield fruit in the same way that there would be suffering, and that suffering would be passed on. Disease entered the world, and it would be passed on to all future people, including to the first child that we see here, Cain, and his brother Abel. Death had entered the world. And the first death we saw was the skins that God created as clothes for Adam and Eve. Then we see a sacrifice that Abel gave, and then Abel himself is killed. Death had entered the world. And we see in the consequences that Cain brings down on himself that the Lord pronounces in the oracles of judgment to Cain. He says that you are cursed now because of the ground that opened its hand to receive your brother's blood. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. Sin has some connection deeply to the world. It breaks the entire world. There's this quote from the ESV study Bible that I found Human sin has a bearing on the fertility of the earth. There is some connection between the entire world. Sin breaks the world. And next, sin is serious because unrepentant sin escalates always. Always. Sin is a wild animal that wants to come in and take over and At first, Cain just got upset, just angry, just a little bit jealous, and then it welled up in him, and it spiraled, and it spiraled, and it became anger, and hatred, and finally violence, and murder. In my life, I have found that it often starts with the phrase, that's weird. That's weird, that I'm... I'm, Smarter than that person and they have a higher position than I do. Or I work harder than that person and they make more money than I do. That, that's weird. And then, it, and then it spirals. And if you open the door, sin wants to come in. In our lives, it goes from fascination to lust to perversion and betrayal. It goes from that's weird to coveting. To manipulation and stealing. In the progression of the Genesis narrative, it goes from the fruit to murder so fast, so fast, the very next story is about brother killing brother. And it escalates in the world. It goes from individuals in the garden to the family, to the tribe, to the people group, to the nation, to the world. Without repentance and revival, civilizations go from righteous justice to lawless debauchery. This story sets us up and what follows, and we look ahead to the, to the flood, where the world is described as each one did what was right in their own eyes. That the lie ultimately spread completely to say that I should be in charge, I want my own way, I know what's best, and that is the way that people lived. In our own culture, it goes from individual indiscretions to sexual revolutions. It goes from individual autonomy to absolute moral relativism. Sin escalates always, unrepentant sin. But Let's jump back into the story and let's look at when Cain and Abel came before the Lord. And somehow this was a preordained time. They came together and this was the time to commune with God. And they both brought a sacrifice. And God regards Abel's sacrifice but not Cain's. Why? Why? What, what is it that's special about Abel's sacrifice? We see in the book of Hebrews there's an answer to this question. In Hebrews 11.4, it says, By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice. That it was faith, that that it was in his heart. Abel is intentional, if you look at the story, about taking out the best of his flock. He brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions to the Lord. He took time. And in contrast, what it seems in our story is that Cain just grabbed something from the top of a pile. Just did something because he had to bring something. Because it had to be done. One commentator said it this way. One worshiper went out of his way to please God. The other simply discharged a duty. You see, God wants your heart. God wants your heart It's not about the sacrifice. It's not about that that Abel gave a more beautiful lamb. It's not about that Abel gave an animal that he killed and Cain gave crops. Both are considered acceptable sacrifices later in the Levitical system and throughout the Scripture. It's about the heart. It's about the intent. It's about the desire to commune with and please God. God wants your heart. Psalm 51 David says it this way, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. God wants your heart, not out of duty, not as a task. It's not even about following rules. He wants what's best for you. He wants you to delight in him to delight in him. The greatest, most amazing thing that God can give us is himself. And he wants that relationship with us. We see it in the way that he created humanity and placed them in the garden and walked with them. He wants to be with us and he wants to give us himself. One of the the, I think best, most overlooked commands and promises in Scripture is in Psalm 37, verse 4, where it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. When my heart desires God, which is what is best for me, He gives me Himself. My life overflows with His presence. There is nothing more beautiful, more fulfilling, more pleasure-filled, more exciting more peaceful more joyous than God himself and he wants that for you able delighted in the lord i can take care to give god the very best i could set aside time and energy and efforts for him i don't want to give him what's left over i don't want to give him just sunday morning because the good football games don't start till 1 on sunday afternoon I don't want to give him just one day of my week and the rest of the time spend it worrying about work and social calendar and my kids' activities and food and drink and party and pleasure and whatever those other things are. I want to give him all because it's better. We sing that song here that, that better, Jesus is better. Then all of the sufferings in life, Jesus is better. And then any good thing, Jesus is better. He's better. He wants you to delight in him because that's what's best. That's what's best for you, and it gives him the most worship. God wants your heart. But there's a stark contrast in our story where we see that while God wants your heart, sin and Satan want to devour They want your destruction. We saw here that sin is personified. God himself says, Cain, be careful. Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. It wants to eat you up. It wants to destroy you. And connected to later in Scripture, Peter talks about the devil, your adversary, the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. That sin and Satan want your destruction, they want your death. This is what's true about sin. Unlike God, who wants you to share in pleasures forevermore, sin carries nothing for you and wants you destroyed. And that's what's at stake here destruction. Because the next thing that's true about sin is that the consequences are dire. The end is destruction. We talked about the breaking of the world, death, separation, isolation. Cain is sent out from the presence of God to the land of Nod, which the land of Nod sounds like it could be from the Wizard of Oz. It's not. Nod is a Hebrew word that means fugitive or wanderer. Cain is sent out to live without a home. It it breaks every relationship with everyone on earth who is the only people on earth right now are his immediate family. And it breaks his relationship. He's cast out. He has no place, no home. In Jude the book of Jude in the New Testament, it gives us a warning and it references Cain. Jude verses 10 and 11 say this, these people blaspheme all that they do not understand and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. The consequences are dire. Beware the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? Let's hear what Ross said in his commentary. He says, The way of Cain in Jude 11 then is unbelief that may manifest itself in envy of God's dealing with the righteous, in murderous acts, in denial of responsibility for one's brother, and in refusal to accept the punishment. The way of Cain is unbelief. Ultimately, the root of all sin is unbelief. The root is unbelief. That when I sin, when I choose my own way, I'm saying, God, I don't really believe that what you want is what's best for me. I don't really believe that you should be in charge. I don't really believe that you deserve the place of honor in my life. I don't really believe that Jesus is better. That's why in that song we say it, make my heart believe. Make my heart believe because the root of sin is unbelief. Listen to some of these verses. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Romans 14.23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In Hebrews 11, 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. You see, John Piper said it this way in a quote that's coming up on the slide, I believe. The failure of the heart to be confident in the promises of God and to rejoice and find pleasure in his provision for the future is the root and essence of all sin. The root of all sin is unbelief. And it's this this weighty unbelief. It's the belief that Scripture talks about so much. It's not just intellectual assent. It's not just, I know these truths. It's that in my heart, I believe them. That it affects my life. It's life-transforming faith. Because the root of all sin is unbelief. I don't really believe that in His presence there is fullness of joy. And so I'm going to go try to find pleasure elsewhere. And I go away from God. I, I push away from God. I myself run from him. One of the most terrifying chapters, passages in Scripture to me is Romans chapter 1, where it talks about the, the unbelieving people, and because they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind. And three times it talks about God giving people over. And I had a a professor in college who talked about it this way, that the picture is like we're running towards sin, and God is holding us back by our shirt tails, keeping us, you don't want to go that way. And ultimately he says, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. And he gives them over to whatever it is that they're chasing, that they by choice have put above God. Because all sin, the other thing that is true about sin is that it is always against God. That while the story, the, the illustration that I told you about lying to my dog is maybe sometimes funny and helpful in seeing the, the, the hierarchy of who sin is against, ultimately all sin is only against God. That, that sin is a rebellion against God's way. It's believing the lie over God's truth. There's a simple choice, God's way or my way, the way of Abel or the way of Cain. As we see in Cain, he was angry, yes, probably with his brother, but ultimately, he was angry with God, and we see it in his actions. We see, one commentator said, blazing resentment toward God welled up in Cain. And then Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous 20th century theologian, said it this way, Why does Cain murder out of hatred for God? All sin is ultimately against God. It's unbelief in God's promises. And how does God respond then? Let's look at the story and see how God acts here this transgression which is against himself the severity of which Cain could probably never even comprehend what does god do we see that god is immediately and incredibly gracious god is immediately and incredibly gracious there's a there, let's let's look quickly at four things that god does in this story first god questions we see it The first time in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? In the same way that he came into the garden with Adam and Eve, and he asked, Where are you? Where are you? What has happened? These questions, compassionate and patient, are designed to produce confession and repentance. Why are you downcast? Why are you angry? And then I love the next question. Don't you know? Don't you know that if you do well, things will go well? That if your heart is after God, then he will give you himself, then he will be pleased. God questions. And then next, we see that God exhorts. He says, If you do not do well, since crouching at the door, its desire is for you, you must rule over it. Be careful. Cain, be careful. This is your warning. Watch out. Sin wants your destruction. Watch out. Be careful. This road leads to bad places, to destruction, to world-breaking. And you know what's interesting is that I think the battle is fought here. And we can see throughout, again, stories of the Bible and even into the New Testament that the battle is fought here. Here. Like when 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear, but God will always provide a way of escape. This is Cain's way of escape. This is the choice. This is the moment. Be careful. This is your warning. This is your way out. Watch out. The battle is ultimately won or lost here. This is the line of decision. But Cain chooses his own way chooses to believe the lie and murders his brother and then we see that again God comes in questioning where's Abel your brother he says what happened Cain what happened where's Abel God questions again he already knows the answer of course he knows the answer but the question is designed to produce confession and repentance and unlike Adam and Eve who, while they danced around the answer to the question, they ultimately confessed, I ate. I did it. It may have been his fault or their fault or I was tricked and it wasn't my fault. But I did it. I ate. Cain straight up lies. Sin has reached its full fruition in his heart. He straight up lies. And he does it almost sarcastically. If you noticed here, he says, am I your bro- my brother's keeper? Abel, whose profession was the keeper of sheep. Abel watched the animals. Am I the watcher of Abel? Is that my fault? How is that my responsibility? It's defiant. Cain outright lies. And while God pronounces that there is consequences to these actions, that no longer will he be able to live in the way that he has lived. He will be sent out. He will be isolated. The next thing God does is God listens. Even to Cain's unbelieving complaining. When Cain says, I can't take that. I can't bear it. That's too much for me. He says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. You've driven me away from the ground I can't work the way that I was. I can't be near you. I can't be with my family. I've got to be a wanderer. I have no home. I would depend upon the kindness of others to give me food because I can't grow it myself. And anybody who sees me is going to kill me. I can't take it. And that's not the kind of whining that I am inclined to listen to. <laughs> like, can you? Like, I can imagine my children saying, "Like, oh boy." You brought this on yourself. Like, what are you even saying? This is, this is all you. You chose to run that way. I was holding you back. And then ultimately you ran away anyway and you fell on your face in the dark, dark pit. This is on you. But God listens. God listens. He's incredibly gracious. God listens. And then the last thing we see is that God protects. Notice here that there's no mention of Cain's repentance. There's no mention of confession and repentance. And yet still, God protects. Cain immediately needs rescuing from his own demise, from the choices that he has made. He immediately needs rescuing from the death and destruction he has brought down upon himself. And immediately, God gives grace and puts his mark of protection on Cain. Gives him unmerited favor. See, this, this story shows the escalation of sin, the effects of the fall, inherited sin and total depravity. Total depravity, which we've talked about. It's not that I'm as bad as I possibly could be, but that sin has touched every part of my life, every part of my being, body and soul. I've been corrupted by sin. The story goes to illustrate that and what happens in the world, and it establishes our need for salvation. And even in our story, it hints at the promised one to come. It hints at the serpent crusher who would come. Abel was the first martyr, but there would be one who would ultimately be innocently slain. The one who would remake the broken world, Jesus. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who, innocently slain, his blood calls out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abel, the ultimate martyr, the one innocently slain on our behalf, and instead of the blood which cries out for Cain's condemnation, the blood of Jesus cries out for us to be acquitted, to be washed in the blood of Jesus. That there's nothing but the blood of Jesus which can rescue us. Hebrews 12:24 it says this, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus is the true and better Abel. Put your faith in Jesus. Choose to believe in Jesus. Because sin is serious. Because sin has consequences. Because sin breaks the world. I love this quote from the Puritan John Owen who said, Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Sin is serious. And so, how do we fight it? How do we combat it? By believing, by putting your trust in Jesus, the great martyr. By telling yourself the truth now in the moment of decision before it's too late. Don't let sin in. If you let it in, it will devour. In Romans 6 it says, don't you know that who you present yourself to, you are slaves to obey? Don't be a slave to sin. But tell yourself the truth. Yes, answer the question of the serpent. Yes, he really said that. Yes, he really said don't eat the fruit. Yes, he really said for me not to do that, to live that way, to pursue that relationship, to take that thing which isn't mine. Yes, he really said that. And yes, I believe that that way leads to death and his way leads to life. And surround yourself with people who tell the truth. Be a part of this church. Invest. Surround yourself that we can tell the truth together. Yes, the promises of God are true. Yes the warnings are true yes jesus is better and delight in the lord we pray with me god thank you for your word god thank you for your scripture that even when it tells us about the dark parts of who we are of our existence it explains to us and diagnoses our sin even in this story of murder that we see hope And God, we see that when you act, you are incredibly gracious, that your love is pursuing, that you question, that you are after us. God, thank you for who you are, and thank you for Jesus, the ultimate martyr, the one innocently slain on our behalf. May we bring ourselves to you as acceptable sacrifices. May we present our bodies as holy and living sacrifices to you. It's in your great name we pray, amen.